0: Section sixty four of mysteries of London Volume Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mysteries of London, volume four, by George W. M. Reynolds, Jack Riley, the Doctor. The individual who thus intruded himself upon the presence of the affrighted woman was about forty years of age, of middle height, somewhat stout, and of powerful form. He was not corpulent, but his build denoted immense strength, his shoulders being broad and massive, and his limbs of large proportions. His neck was short and thick like that of a bull and his huge hands, when clenched, appeared as if they could fell an ox or batter down a wall. His countenance was perfectly hideous. It was of dark complexion, and on the right cheek was a large scar of livid red, as if the flesh had been seared with a hot iron, and left to heal without any surgical assistance. The low but broad forehead was overshadowed with coarse black matted hair which the man wore long and which he evidently much neglected so that it had a dirty appearance in spite of its jetty hue his eyes were small and dark and the whites for we know not what other name to give them were of a yellow hue so that an ominous fire seemed to animate those eyes as if they reflected all the bad passions of a polluted soul the nose which was large thick and coarse projected all on one side and had enormous nostrils add to all these elements of ugliness a hair-lip with an opening so large that it displayed two of the man's large white teeth up to the very gum and the reader may form a tolerably accurate idea of the repulsive aspect of this individual he was dressed in a greasy velveteen shooting jacket a rusty black waistcoat corduroy trousers and heavy high-lows a blue cotton handkerchief was negligently tied round his neck and his shirt which was none of the cleanest was open in front the buttons being deficient so that a portion of his hirsute chest was visible on his head he wore an old fur cap of a tawny colour but sadly stained with grease as if it were tossed in any dirty nook or corner when not in use as the man had no whiskers and his complexion was so dark it might have been supposed that he had some african blood in his veins such was not however the case he was born in england and of english parents and had received an english education likewise but nature had given him a hideous aspect and circumstances had imbued his soul with the ferocity of a hyena and the subtlety of a serpent it is not often that the savage disposition is characterized by a profound and latent cunning because the violence of furious passions usually absorbs all reflection in its sudden impulses and outbursts but this man was ferocious by nature and subtle in consequence of possessing a powerful intellect and having received a good education not that intelligence and mental cultivation engender craft and cunning no but they teach the necessity of consideration and forethought and the result in respect to the individual whom we are describing was that he knew the world so well as to be fully aware that intrigue and machination frequently succeeded where brute force could accomplish nothing thus when there was no need to have recourse to artifice this man appeared as a very demon let loose upon society but when cunning could gain an end he was enabled to control his savage propensities and exercise a complete domination over his ferocious instincts such was the person who burst upon the view of the terrified mrs mortimer in the abrupt manner already described she had risen from her seat on the bed and now stood gazing on him in speechless apprehension and amazement but he not heeding the alarm which his presence inspired closed the door carefully behind him and then throwing his greasy cap on a chair approached the old woman saying so i understand you have been robbed ma'am well don't give way to despair i think i can help you to the recovery of your money ah ejaculated mrs mortimer considerably relieved by the hope thus abruptly held out and at the same moment animated by the conviction that the man could not mean her any harm as she had never seen him before in her life and moreover the house was neither deserted nor lonely and it was now the broad noonday under which circumstances crimes of violence were seldom perpetrated yes i think i can help you repeated the man but there is plenty of time before us and we must have a chat over the matter in the first instance thus speaking he seated himself in a free and easy fashion and mrs mortimer likewise took a chair for she had now become deeply interested in the present visit despite the revolting ugliness of the visitor who are you she asked and in what manner do you think you can aid me one question at a time my dear madam returned the fellow with cool familiarity first then as to who i am my name is riley mr riley amongst mere acquaintances john riley in a police sheet and jack riley amongst intimate friends but those who know me best call me the doctor because you see i was brought up to the medical profession that was against my tastes and only in obedience to the wishes of my parents and so as soon as they hopped the twig which was when i was about two-and-twenty i gave up mending broken legs and took to breaking into houses instead of feeling pulses i fingered purses and found the new profession more profitable such a hand as this he continued with a horrible grin as he extended his broad and horny palm was rather intended to wield a crowbar than a lancet or grasp a pistol in preference to a scalpel now my dear ma'am i think you may begin to suspect who and what i am a burglar and a thief said mrs mortimer who had by this time recovered all her wonted calmness well you are the more likely to aid me in my present embarrassment i mean in the recovery of my money and of course you can dictate your own terms i'm perfectly assured of that responded the doctor again grinning maliciously with his horrid hair lip which seemed as if it were about to split completely up his cheek but at the same time i admit with all possible candor that i cannot act alone in this business and therefore you have that guarantee for my good faith but in what way do you propose to act demanded mrs mortimer anxious to arrive at a more satisfactory understanding with her hideous visitor i will tell you answered Riley. i am not known at this coffee-house and therefore i came in just now to take some refreshment and read the paper i saw you enter and thought that yours was a countenance which denoted a soul alive to mischief that was the impression you made upon me for I must tell you that I am a bit of a phrenologist in my way, however I had almost ceased to think of you when I saw you come rushing out of the bar-parlour and bolt upstairs like a madwoman. Then I marked your countenance again, and I was seized with admiration towards you on account of the horrible expression of your features. I said to myself that if ever I had beheld a she-fiend, I had seen one then." "'I am much obliged to you for the compliment,' observed Mrs. Mortimer dryly. "'Let me tell my story in my own way, my dear madam,' exclaimed Jack Riley with mock politeness. "'Well, I saw you bolt upstairs and the landlady after you, and I knew that there must be something queer in the wind. So I waited quietly reading the paper until the landlady came down again, and then I went to the bar to pay my money. A question or two that I put elicited the information that you had been robbed by two fellows pretending to be officers having a search warrant, and the landlady in her garrulity gave me a description of those individuals, one of them the old man I know nothing of, he is a complete stranger to me, but the other I do know, and what is more I owe him a grudge. It matters not why or for what. I thereupon told the landlady that I thought I could help you in the matter. And before she had time to make any answer, I rushed up to your room to introduce myself to your notice. "'Now I begin to understand you, Mr. Riley,' said the old woman. "'You are acquainted with one of the robbers. You probably know his haunts, and you have a spite to vent upon him. Is this it?' "'Just so,' answered the burglar. "'You must also learn that the reading which I had of your countenance convinced me that I might with safety tell you who and what I am.' because I never have any child's play in the business I am engaged in. If you want to get back your money, you must put confidence in me and act as I tell you, and the only way to make you trust me is to let you know my real character. You see in me, then, a cracksman and a prig. But I am stanch to the backbone amongst pals. And on what terms do you propose to aid me? demanded Mrs. Mortimer. How much have these fellows robbed you of? asked Riley, the old woman hesitated for a few moments she knew not whether it were prudent to tell the truth to her new friend who so deliberately announced himself as a gentleman exercising a profession which could not possibly be characterized by any particular scruples or punctilios well just as you like ma'am said jack rising from his seat by declaring on to the swag i may get my regulars from the two prigs whom i can easily trace out and therefore if you are afraid to trust me i shall be off at once in this case mind you will never see a penny of the money you have lost stay mr raleigh stay exclaimed mrs mortimer who perfectly comprehended the man's meaning which was to the effect that he might obtain some of the booty for himself without her cooperation, whereas she could not recover a shilling unless assisted by him the burglar coolly reseated himself you asked me of how much i was robbed she said interrogatively yes was the laconic response five thousand four hundred pounds observed mrs mortimer my stars is it possible exclaimed riley this his horrible countenance expanding with delight it is the truth i can assure you rejoined the old woman five thousand four hundred pounds repeated the burglar in a slow and measured tone as if to prolong the enjoyment of the sweet music which the mention of such a sum made for his auricular sense it is a serious loss is it not asked mrs mortimer anxiously watching his countenance its expression denoting hope nay even indicating a certainty of success in the endeavor to recover the amount but that same tablet of the mind gave no assurance that the man would act honorably towards her in the end and content himself only with a share five thousand four hundred pounds he again repeated in a musing tone yes tis a serious loss the recovery however would be two thousand seven hundred apiece would that suit you he demanded turning abruptly towards her what she said affecting not to comprehend the question Will you agree to give me one-half of the sum if I recover the whole?" asked Riley. "'That is plain English, I believe, and now it depends on you whether our conversation shall be prolonged or not.' "'Yes, I will cheerfully give you one-half,' returned Mrs. Mortimer, making up her mind to keep to the bargain only in the case of her inability to depart from it with safety to herself well and good resumed riley i must now inform you that the tall fellow who was with the old man is one of the most noted cracksmen in london a desperate ruffian who would think no more of shooting a person through the head than of eating his dinner what his real name is i don't know i never heard although he and i have been acquainted for years past but he is called vitriol bob from a little peculiarity which he has introduced into his professional mode of doing business. "'I do not catch your meaning,' said Mrs. Mortimer, though not without a shudder, for she did entertain a vague suspicion of the frightful origin of that singular pseudonym. "'I'll explain myself more fully, ma'am,' returned the doctor, "'since we have all the day before us, and may chatter a bit to while away the time.' You see that the individual of whom we are speaking has an awkward knack of lurking about in by-streets and secluded neighborhoods to waylay gentlemen who happen to have gold chains hanging over their waistcoats or out of their fobs, for those little articles are pretty faithful evidences that the purses of such folks are not entirely empty. Well, in case of a struggle, our friend is apt to break a file of vitriol over the face of his opponent so that he may get away and also that the said opponent may be blinded and unable to identify him on any future occasion hence his name of vitriol bob and such is the terror he has inspired throughout the districts of kennington camberwell peckham and thereabouts that the moment any gentleman returning home from a party or from the tavern hears the ominous sound of your money or your eyes he exclaims don't throw the vitriol and i'll give up everything is this possible cried mrs mortimer with a shudder that was colder and more perceptible than the former one oh quite possible ma'am i can assure you said the doctor calmly you shall see vitriol bob to-night and then judge for yourself whether he looks like a fellow who could do such a thing or not a more hang-dog countenance you never saw in your life I know that I am not particularly handsome, he added with a horrible grin and leer, but I don't look quite such a bravo as he does. Mrs. Mortimer thought if vitriol Bob were more hideous in outward appearance than Jack Riley, he must be frightful indeed. This is the chap we shall have to deal with tonight, continued the burglar, and therefore, as you perceive, we must go well prepared to play the game properly. Who his companion is in the robbery I can't make out. "'But I know,' interrupted Mrs. Mortimer hastily, "'he is a poor, weak, emaciated, nervous old man, whom I undertake to subdue and even bind with cords in a few moments. "'Oh, he shall find me a very tiger-cat let loose upon him,' she added, her countenance suddenly expressing a hyena-like ferocity. "'Now you do seem handsome, royally handsome, although in reality you are so infernally ugly,' exclaimed Jack Riley that is the way in which i like to see a woman look why perdition sees me but i could almost love you what a splendid couple we should make and the idea tickled the wretch's fancy to such an extent that he laughed until the tears streamed from his yellow eyes and ran down his dark countenance while his hair-lip opened so wide that all his upper teeth large perfect, white and even were displayed to the gums cease this disgusting mirth sir exclaimed mrs mortimer unable to restrain her feelings for ugly criminal and morally degraded as she knew herself to be the observations of the monster and his consequent hilarity outraged her cruelly come come we must not be bad friends said jack riley extending his huge palm towards the old woman who proffered her hand in return through fear of offending the wretch that had become too useful for her to lose him until the contemplated business should have been accomplished there that's right he added as he shook her hand with a violence that made her wince now there is no ill feeling between us but really you must pardon me for what i said and also forbear from taking offence so easily should i fall into such remarks again for look you madam i do not care about female beauty neither is old age disgusting to me what i admire in a woman is her disposition her mind and when i see you flaring up like a hell-rat when i behold you waxing infuriate as a dame, i love you better than if you was the most lovely virgin on the face of the earth however enough of that enough indeed Cried mrs mortimer who experienced the most ineffable repugnance the most profound loathing for the monster that thus dinned his hideous idiosyncrasies in her ears but veiling her abhorrence as much as she could she said and now perhaps you will have the goodness to inform me how you intend to proceed in order to recover this large sum of money the explanation is simple enough responded the doctor vitriol bob has a particular haunt a certain lurking hole not a hundred miles from here and i happen to know where the place is in fact bob and i have been pals for a long long time i thought you told me just now that you had a spite against him interrupted mrs mortimer fixing her eyes keenly upon the doctor as if to read the secrets of his inmost soul and learn whether he were deceiving her ah you may look ma'am and look as searchingly as you like exclaimed jack riley who understood what was passing in her mind but you won't find me out in any contradiction nor yet to telling you any lies I said that vitriol Bob and I had been friends for a long time, and I said truly, but that doesn't prevent me from having a hankering to be avenged for a trick he played me, in which he does not think I even suspect. The fact is we robbed a house together, and Bob, in ransacking a chest of drawers, got hold of a bag full of sovereigns. He stuck to them and never uttered a word about them when we afterwards divided the swag. I found it out through an advertisement that appeared in the papers offering a reward for the apprehension of the burglars and specifying the things stolen he never saw that advertisement i know and i did not tell him of it i however swore to have my turn against him sooner or later and i bided my time that time has now come and i shall let him know it before many hours are over his head but are you certain that you can find him and even supposing that you do succeed in tracing him to his lurking hole how do you know that the old man will be there also demanded mrs mortimer there is no tracing out vitriol bob in the matter exclaimed jack riley the moment he has committed a robbery he always goes straight to his usual haunt and remains there for a few days till the storm is blown over as a mere precaution he will compel his pal this old man to go with him because if the latter was taken up by the detectives he might be induced to peach against bob and all that so i'm sure we shall find them together unless indeed added the doctor in a tone of diminishing confidence unless i say The old man knows that you dare not raise a hue and cry, touching this robbery. On the contrary, returned Mrs. Mortimer, that old man, whose name is Torrens has every reason to believe that I would persecute him with the most implacable vengeance which a human being is capable of experiencing or inflicting. So much the better, cried Jack Riley, grinning joyously. In this case we are sure of our prey. And is the game to be played by violence or by cunning? asked Mrs. Mortimer, by violence my good lady by violence to be sure responded the burglar his eyes glowing savagely with their ominous yellow lustre as if the orbs of a tiger were glaring upon the woman and though the gorgeous sunlight was flooding the small chamber with its golden haze still shone that yellow lustre apart distinct and sinister by violence repeated mrs mortimer awful thoughts relative to vitriol bob's peculiar mode of proceeding rushing in upon her soul how can it be done otherwise demanded jack riley when i first came up to you just now i was going to propose to enlist in the service a pal of mine and a vitriol bob's also who would aid and assist but then he would require his thirds as a matter of course since however you have informed me that bob's companion in the robbery is an old emaciated feeble man and that you can master him by yourself you and i will keep the business in our own hands i will undertake to tackle vitriol bob if you will make sure of the other and supposing that your opponent should overpower you, said Mrs. Mortimer, I will take care that he does not, returned Riley. trust me to subdue him. And without bloodshed, observed the old woman shuddering, for depraved and wicked as she was, she grew cold and her heart sank within her at the idea of murder. Come, if you are squeamy, you had better abandon the project and leave it all to me, said the doctor, if vitriol Bob should place my life in danger, at that moment he is a dead man. Self-preservation, ma'am, is the first law of nature. At the same time, I shall not kill him unless it is to save myself. Of this you may be assured. The old woman remained silent for some moments. Should she embark in an enterprise so replete with danger? Should she incur the risk of becoming an accomplice in a murder? She trembled at the thought, and yet her money, the money that she had come over to England to obtain, would be totally lost to her were she to shrink from the endeavor to recover it it was true that even if it were regained one half would pass into the hands of a stranger but was it not better to return to paris with two thousand seven hundred pounds in her pocket than with an empty purse the stake was worth venturing and her indecision vanished i am not squeamish in the matter she said at length our bargain and our arrangements hold good in all respects that villain torrens shall not have the laugh against me on the contrary i must be avenged upon him there now you are my fine old hyena my adorable tiger cat once again cried the doctor i long to see you pounce upon old torrens as you call him i would give the best five years of my life could i endow you with a complete set of claws instead of those comparatively harmless finger nails wouldn't you tear his eyes out of his head wouldn't you strike them deep into his flesh do you know that satan will obtain a glorious acquisition when the time comes for him to make a fiend of you and again the monster's horrible hilarity rang through the little chamber as he threw himself back in the chair and laughed with the most savage heartiness for mercy's sake cease this unnatural gaiety exclaimed the old woman scarcely able to subdue her rage oh i must laugh cried the wretch sputtering through his frightful hair-lip if it is only to make you look as ferocious as you do now Mrs. Mortimer turned towards the window with disgust, and the wretch's mirth died away in guttural sounds. "'Come now, I told you that you must not be angry with me, madam,' he said at length. "'It is my nature to laugh heartily at times, and surely you won't check such an innocent propensity, but I will take my leave of you now, and at half-past ten to-night we must meet at some place as near Stamford Street as you choose. "'Where shall it be?' asked the old woman. "'Name the spot, and I shall be punctual to the moment.' There is a narrow lane running along the side of Christchurch burial ground responded the burglar, after a few moments' reflection. It leads from the Blackfriars Road into Collingwood Street. I suppose you know London well. Oh, perfectly. Go on, said Mrs. Mortimer. Well, we will meet in that crooked lane at half-past ten exactly, continued Jack Riley. By the by, he added, rising from his chair, you'd better tell the landlady downstairs that you found out I could do nothing for you, and that you have resigned yourself to put up with your loss. It will prevent her from suspecting anything queer on account of your going out so late and remaining away an hour or so. Leave that to me, replied Mrs. Mortimer. I shall know how to make all the excuses that are necessary. Indeed, if we are successful, I shall not return again to this place, she observed, sinking her voice to a low whisper. Well, that is your business, and now good-bye for the present. At half-past ten we meet in the place appointed. Mrs. Mortimer spoke a few words of assent, and the doctor took his departure, bestowing upon the woman a familiar nod, accompanied by a grin and a leer, before he crossed the threshold and closed the chamber door behind him when mrs mortimer was left alone she began to ponder deeply upon the particulars of this interview which had just terminated the man knew the hiding-place where it was presumed that vitriol bob and torrens had taken refuge and it was doubtless some cellar or dangerous place where crime might be committed with impunity as well as where the perpetrators of crime might conceal themselves then what guarantee had she that raleigh would not make her his victim after availing himself of her services in subduing the plunderers and recovering the stolen treasure she shuddered as she thought of the peril into which she was about to precipitate herself she trembled from head to foot as she pondered upon the desperate character of the man who was to be her companion in the night's enterprise and yet in spite of his revolting ugliness and his avowal dark career of turpitude there was something like fairness in his speech respecting a partner in any enterprise in which he might be engaged moreover had he not shown by the mere fact of the spite which he cherished against vitriol bob that his ideas of the honour that ought to prevail even amongst thieves were of a fixed and positive nature lastly had he not stipulated upon the precise amount that he was to retain for his services and would he be thus minute and nice in details if he cherished the intention of self appropriating the whole these arguments which mrs mortimer seriously revolved in her mind may not perhaps appear very convincing or very satisfactory to the reader for after all they were only so many suppositions placed in juxtaposition with the atrocious character of an avowed desperado but let it be remembered that we often reason ourselves into what we wish to believe rather than into what we ought to believe and we tutor our minds to put faith in those opinions that best suit our interests rather than our safety this is like hoping against hope still it is a general characteristic of human nature and mrs mortimer's case proved no exception to the general rule in fine she came to the conclusion that jack riley was a monstrous rogue in respect to the world but an honest man towards his pals that he would strip society, were society a single individual, of its last shirt, but would not lay his finger on the costliest robe, if on the back of an accomplice, and that he meant to act with regard to herself in the fairest way possible. Whether her expectations were fulfilled will shortly appear. We cannot, however, close this chapter without recording a few comments upon that extraordinary disposition in human nature to reason oneself into the belief which one wishes to adopt to the repudiation of that which one ought to adopt. For instance, the man who is floundering about in a perfect morass of pecuniary troubles from which he cannot possibly see any chance of emerging, incessantly dins in his own mental ears the most absurd sophisms to convince himself that his position is not so desperate as it appears. "'Well, something must turn up,' he says. "'Things are sure to take a turn soon. I can get Jones to renew the bill which he holds of mine. When it becomes due, Tompkins will hold his bill over for a few weeks, and Brown will lend me the money to satisfy Smith.' In this manner does the poor devil go on, with his castle building, until he can no longer blow from his imagination's pipe another soap-bubble wherewith to amuse himself. Jones positively refuses to renew, Tompkins proves inexorable in his demand for instantaneous payment. Brown, having heard of his difficulties, will not lend him a farthing, and Smith, anything but satisfied, puts a clencher on the whole through the medium of the sheriff's officer. Then when the self-deluded wretch awakes from his dream on finding himself in jail, on his way to the bankruptcy court he says to himself in the bitterness of his spirit i always knew it would come to this although for years he had been straining every effort of the imagination to lull his mind into a contrary belief. in the same way does the bashful lover who has not as yet proposed to the object of his affections but who nevertheless longs to do so yet fears because he has seen her smile more sweetly upon a handsomer youth than ever she did on him in the same way does he strive to persuade himself that she does really love him, that he has observed stealthy glances cast from her brilliant eyes towards him, that her hand is trembled in his own, that her voice has faltered, when she has responded to his commonplace remarks upon the weather the opera and the new novel, that it is a mere flirtation between herself and the other handsome youth, and find that she is dying to receive the proposal which he has not the courage to make, and in this manner does he tutor himself to lead a life of pleasing pain, though all the while aware that the sorest misgivings lie at the bottom of his heart beneath the superstructure of delusive hopes and fond imaginings which perforce he has conjured up there then when at last he hears from some kind friend that the beautiful miss so-and-so was married yesterday morning to the handsome young gentleman whom she had loved all along the self-deluded wretch exclaims ah i never thought that she cared a fig for me but worse oh far worse is it with the criminal let us take for instance the confidential clerk who for the sake of a mistress or through love of fine clothes and ostentatious display amongst his acquaintances pilfers from his master's till at first his speculations were small and insignificant but being undiscovered he grows bolder and more deeply guilty while he endeavors to reason himself out of the agonizing fears that haunt him day and night pursue him like the spectres of murdered victims and turn his wine into gall and the sweets of beauty's lip into bitterness it is impossible that i can be detected he mentally exclaims A thousand times in an hour my precautions are so well devised. In a large business such as this, a few shillings are not missed. Besides, I so arrange the entries in the books that the expenditure and the receipts are proportionate. My employer, too, is kinder towards me than ever. I possess his confidence. Not for an instant would he suspect me. And even if I were found out, not that I can be, but I say even if I were, he would not suffer me to be disgraced. He would hush it up. He would never let me be dragged into the felon's dock thus will the infatuated being reason on although he sees that his master is growing cold in his manner and that there is a suspicion of foul play somewhere until at length the explosion takes place the self-deluded mortal is hurried to a felon's jail his employer proves inveterate and inexorable he is doomed to transportation and in the convict ship he exclaims in terrible anguish of mind while writhing as if in mortal agony upon his hard pallet. fool that i was not to have stopped short while it was yet time for i always foresaw that this must inevitably be the end of it all gentle reader never against your own settled convictions endeavour to set up a fabric of delusion you may at length succeed in throwing the former into the background and persuading yourself to believe that the latter is a substantial truth but you will in the long run discover to your cost that you have stepped out of the broad and straight high-road to flounder amidst the perils of an interminable bog end of section sixty four